All right, friends, let's go. If you got your Bibles, Psalm 90 is where we are going to be. It's where we have been and where we're going to be. This is our second to last Sunday in Psalm 90. So we are, we are wrapping this up. Next Sunday, we are uh, kind of closing, closing the book on Psalm 90 um, and beginning to get ready for, for Easter. And so ne- next Sunday is kind of a transition week for us. We're going to end Psalm 90 and kind of begin uh, talking more about some Easter stuff going on here at Flourishing Grace. But as we kind of bring this to a close, just a reminder of where we've been just for the past few weeks. We don't have time to go back and unpack all of it. Um, if you haven't been here, it's all online, flourishinggrace.org slash listen, or, or you can find it on YouTube. But where we've been for the past few weeks, Moses, who this psalm is attributed to, we've talked a lot about that. M- Moses has begun to kind of give these, he's praying, he's praying over the nation of Israel. Uh, this is believed to be kind of a public prayer. He's praying this in front of a group of people. Um, and he's praying, and he's praying for very specific things. And he's giving what I've called kind of these um, in, imperative requests, right? He is he's commanding and yet asking all at the same time. Um, there is this urgency in Moses for God to move. And the first one, the first one that we saw, we talked about this a few weeks ago, is uh, teach us to number our days. Teach is the first imperative request, right? Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Moses says, man, I don't want to live another one of my days wasted. I don't want to squander it. I, I need you to remind me every day that my life is short, that all the days in the past are done. I can't go back and change them. All the days in the future are uncertain. I don't know what's going to happen there. This one I have. This is the day that I have. This is the one that you've given me. And so, so, so teach me to number my days and invest well in this day. I want this day to be filled with meaning and significance and purpose. Don't let me squander it. Teach us to number our days, okay? Then the next one is this, return. Teach, then return. Return, O Lord. Return, O, o Lord. Right? Moses says, man, if, if this day is going to be invested well, if this day is going to be invested well, what I need more than I need anything in the world is you. I need you closer to me than the blood in my veins and the breath in my lungs. I, I need you more than that. I need you. If there's going to be any meaning, if there's going to be any significance, any purpose in this day, if I'm going to invest it well, I need you to be here because I will squander it. And then he goes on. So he says, teach, return, satisfy. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Moses says, man, I know. I, I know that I will continue to squander my days seeking to be satisfied in all the things of this world unless every morning, every single morning, that I am filled with satisfaction in you and you alone. The one that ultimately brings ultimate satisfaction satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. And then last week we looked at in Gladden, right? In Gladden, give us, make us glad and gladden me, made me happy and cheerful and joyful, delight, increase it, because I know all humanity is constantly seeking happiness. And if you do not, if you are not making me happy this morning, if you are not, if you're not in gladdening me, me this day, I will spend this day pursuing happiness. And I don't want to spend this day pursuing happiness. I want to spend this day pursuing you. I'm going to invest well in this day. And so here, this is kind of the prayer of Moses, kind of the, the, the snapshot of where we've been in Psalm 90. We're going to move on to the next one this morning, uh, the second to last one in, in verse 16. Psalm 90 verse 16 is our text uh, for today, and it reads this way. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. So show, let your work be shown to your servants. Show us your work. So show is going to 
Let me kind of how I rephrase it. Show is, the, is this imperative request. Show, right? So teach us, return, satisfy, and gladden, show. Show us your work. Now, now, why is this kind of Moses' next thing? Where does this fall in kind of this train of thought? Uh, as I just said, like what we've been looking at so far, uh, all of this kind of flows together. There's a reason why it's building one on top of another on top of another. So what is Moses doing here? Where does this fit in the prayer? Coming out of it in gladden, right? Make us, make us happy, make us glad, make us cheerful, make us joyful, and show us your work. How do these two things fit together? It's the first thing I want to, we've kind of looked at this every single week, and so I want to spend just a brief moment asking the question, okay, where do, how does this flow out of in Gladden before we unpack it fully, right? Last week I read a quote by A.W. Tozer on happiness, and I want to read it for you again. Tozer says it this way. He says, the people of God ought to be the happiest people in the wide world. People should be coming to us constantly and asking the source of our joy and delight, right? Tozer says, man, we should be the happiest people in the whole wide world. People should constantly be coming to you and say, man, how are you so happy? Why are you so happy? Where does your joy and your delight come from? But Tozer also says this. He says, no man should desire to be happy who is not at the same time holy. That, that, that sentence, write that down. You, you just spent a few hours today thinking about that. Uh, it's just, it's brilliant. No man should desire to be happy who is not at the same time holy. He should spend his efforts seeking to know and do the will of God or the work of God, leaving to Christ the matter of how happy he should be right? And I think this is what Moses is actually doing. This is what Moses is saying. He says, and glad in me, because if I'm not glad, right, I'm going to pursue all of these other things that are going to try, that I think might make me happy, and, but I'm leaving that to you. I realize that I can't, I can't find it, buy it, acquire it. I can't make myself glad. I'm leaving that to you. Make me glad. Make me glad. Now show me your work. Show me what your will is. That's where I need to turn my attention today. Like, that's, that's where I need to set my mind. That's where I need to set my focus. What is God doing today? That's what I want to know. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to give my time. Our ultimate happiness will never be in something that we find to buy or acquire. We've talked about this a lot here at Flourishing Grace, right? It, it'll never be, it's not out in the distance, right? Happiness. Ultimate happiness is not out in the distance. It's not in the future. You're not going to find it someday. You're not, it's not in, in, the next, in the next latest gadget. It's not in the next latest Netflix documentary. It's not in the latest uh, crush, the girlfriend and boyfriend. It's not in some future job or some future career or some future retirement. It's not in any of those things. It's not in the future at all. It's right here. It's right, it's right now. And if we are going to experience true joy and true delight and true happiness— we need to figure out where God is at work and spend our days there. This is why humanity is so unsatisfied, constantly unsatisfied. We are an unsatisfied people, a restless people, constantly chasing the next thing that will numb, not fill, our greatest longings for meaning, significance, and purpose. We're constantly chasing after things that will numb, but never fill, our longings for meaning, significance, and purpose. We never find it. 
And so Moses is saying here, show me your work. That's where I will find meaning. That's where I'll find significance. That's where I'll find purpose. And ultimately, happiness. I believe this is his train of thought. I believe that this is where he's, he's kind of going with this or what, why he's placing it right after make us glad. Make us glad. I, I know that my gladness will not be found by me. It will be produced by you. And ultimately, the things that I'm longing for, meaning, significance, and purpose, will be found in your work, not mine. Okay? So now, this, this is important. We must understand that God is working. Right? M- Moses does not say, I need you to, to work. I need you to show up. I need you to do something here. Moses just says, show me. I know you're already working. Show me where you're working. M- Moses doesn't say, here's what I need you to do for me today. He just says, open my eyes that we might see where you are already working. We do not serve a God who is idle. We don't serve a God who just kind of creates and it kind of creates all things and then steps back out of his creation and says, good luck right? It's kind of a deistic view. That is, not, that is not what we hold to be true, right? Where God says, man, I will not intervene. I will not uh, interfere in your daily affairs. I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to shake the snow globe and sit it on the shelf and, and watch the snowfall. That's not how our God is. He is intimately involved in every little fleck of snow and everything that's going on in all of his creation and everything that's happening. He is intimately involved in all of those things, And so the first thing I want you to see this morning is that God is a God of work. He is constantly working. And then then we're going to look and say, okay, where is he working? So number number one, God is a God who is constantly working. And then we'll ask the question, where is he working? God is always working. We live in a time when this is a very simple doctrine of God to acknowledge, right? Many of us would say, I believe that. Yeah, God's always working, right? He's, he's always doing something. He's always working here. He's always working. I believe, I believe that. I acknowledge that it's true. It's a, a simple doctrine for us to acknowledge. It's a much harder doctrine for us to realize. I believe that right now, more than, more than any other time in human history, this, this doctrine of God, that he is a God who is on the move, a God who is, who is constantly working, a God who is constantly intervening, right, is, a, is an easy doctrine for us to intellectually say, yeah, 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 sure, 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 yeah, yeah. But to actually realize it is a different thing entirely. Where is he working? Where do you see him? Do you see him? Where is he working right now in your life? What is he doing right now around you? Is it to, for us to realize it, for us to see it, is a totally different thing. He is constantly working. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 68, verse 19. says this, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation, Selah, right? Blessed be the Lord. He is daily, every single day, every day, he is bearing us up. God is our salvation. Now, the psalmist is not thinking about Jesus on the cross, our salvation, right? Yet, yes, God is our salvation, our eternal salvation in Christ, a death on the cross, right? We celebrated communion this morning. That's not what the psalmist is talking about here. He's talking about our daily salvation, our moment-by-moment salvation, that every single time, every single day, that, that there's a moment where we don't stumble and fall into sin. God is daily bearing us up. Right, but for so many of us, you experience these moments throughout the day where, 
where I, I don't know what it may be, but your kid, your, your child, right, just fires back at you, right, and just like just tears into you. But you have this moment of parenting where you where you remain calm. Like it's a miracle, okay? Like I'm talking about once in a while here, like not often, but every once in a while, right? Like you are just as cool as you can be, cooler than cool, man. You're ice cold. I right? just like yeah. And in that moment, you respond with this almost amazing, like, wisdom for your child, bringing them into your argument and laying before them these deep truths. And they walk away like, I'm not, I mean, I know it's rare, okay? But there's moments, there's moments, there's moments where you're like, your, your spouse says something to you, and you know that 99% of the time it would have done something in your heart. It would have brought anger, frustration. But in that moment, you just, you, just, you just pour love out over them. Your boss kind of lays something on you at the last minute on Friday, and you respond with kindness and grace and mercy. There's these moments where we experience these things, and so often we come home and we, we rush the kids to practice, we shove some dinner in our mouths, we binge, binge some Netflix, we go to bed, we wake up the next day, and we do it all again, and we never stop to realize that it's God who is daily bearing us up, that all of those moments are a gift from his hand. It is his grace over us. Like, that was him in that moment, daily, moment by moment, bearing us up. We never acknowledge it. We never realize it. And we would say, yes, I believe that, that's, that God does that. But in the moment, do you say, oh, my goodness, God is in my midst. He is working. When was the last time you sat down and just looked back over your day and, and asked the question, where did God bear me up today? Where did I not fall into sin? Where did I live righteously? Where did I see the fruit of the Spirit produced? God is constantly working. Are you aware of his work? Paul says it this way in Philippians 1, 6, well known. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He is constantly working in us. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in a minute, but constantly working in us. Where is he working in you? Do you see it? Where are the areas that, of sin that he is bringing to the surface and exposing, right? Where are the areas of, of fruit that he's producing that are, are being birthed out of you? This goodness, this righteousness that's coming forth from you. But do you see it? Do you know who you are? Do you know where he is working in your life? We live in a time, as I said, this is where this is very simple doctrine to acknowledge but never realize. It's easy for us to nod our head in agreement with that. But do you see him? Do you see him? We must become a people who are awakened to what God is doing right now, moment by moment and movement by movement. Show us your work. Show us your work. If we are not living awakened to what God is doing, right, there are a number of things that are going to happen in our lives. No, number one, okay, we, we're going to become desensitized to this, right? If we're not daily reflecting on his grace, if we're not sitting down and looking for the areas where he is moving and the things that he is doing moment by moment in life, like we're going to become desensitized to it. We're just going to be numb to it. And we're, it's, going to, it's going to happen to us, and we're never even going to see it happening, right? Um, this past week, my, my little sweet three-year-old, uh, Haddon, uh, well, I should say this. My, my responsible, wise seven-year-old, Winston, was playing some video games. He was playing a little Mario Party downstairs in the basement, right? Um, and 
when he's playing video games, he can tend to get a little distracted, right? By, by, or just focused in on what he's doing and not really realize what's happening around him. Um, and my three-year-old takes a chair from one end of the room, pushes it all the way to the other side of the room, crawls up on the chair, climbs to the top shelf of the closet and finds this like kid's chemistry set and proceeds to take food coloring and put it all over the carpet um, in our basement. And when I say all over, I mean like down the hall, on the walls, it is everywhere. And the whole time, my, my super responsible seven-year-old is sitting there like, I can't, I can't see, man, get out of the way. Like, what are you, I'm trying to play a game here. Like the whole time, like the whole time it's happening, he is sitting right there, right? And this, this mess, is this, this, this destruction, like we clean the carpets, and it's food coloring, so it's like down in there. So you clean it, it looks clean. You come back the next day, and it's like risen back to the surface. It's like this never-ending, like, it's just ruined. It's over, friends. It's like, now, for the record, I was not home when this was happening, okay? So my wife was in the house, and I was not even there. So don't even, don't even try to put this on me. The truth is, is that when we, when we are not daily practicing and living awake into what God is doing, we're like a seven-year-old playing video games, Right? And, and I'm not saying God is pouring food color on a carpet. That's not, that's not my point. Um, God is working around us and trying to reveal to us so many wonderful things and, and terrible things. Showing us our sin and exposing, opening, shining this light on, on, on our sin. And, and we're just like completely oblivious to what he is doing in us and around us. We become desensitized to it. We fail to join in and find meaning and purpose and significance we crave. We're going to talk more about this next week. But, it, but this idea of where does true purpose and where does true significance come from in my everyday, it comes from joining in this work with him. And that's impossible if you don't actually look for it, if you don't actually see where he's working. We fail to be transformed. We remain the same, right? This, this, this good work that he wants to long to bring to completion in us, right, is not being, so many of us, we wonder that we had this moment, this experience when we first came to Jesus where we were transformed, like this amazing transformation occurs, like this is amazing, but that was years ago. And now I hear so many people all the time saying, where's God now? Why isn't he transforming me now? The truth is, is that I believe that he longs to tr radically transform you every single day, but we just don't actually look for it. We don't slow down enough to see it. We acknowledge that he is working, but we never actually see it. It's important to know that our God is working. So where do we look? Where do we look? I'm going to give you two things. Number one, we look in us, right? Show us what you're doing in me, right? That, that, that uh, Philippians 1, 6, right? He who began a good work in you, right? He is, he's working in us. The God of all things is working in us. Paul goes on, actually, in Philippians 2, uh, 12 to 13, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. So this work that's being produced is God working in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is a worker in our lives. God is a worker in our lives. He constantly has his hands, his fingers all over our lives. Those of us who are in Christ, God is working in us. 
He's working in us to, to will, uh, to produce his, for his good pleasure, to work and to will for his good pleasure, right? This, this working out of our salvation is God working in us constantly, always working in our lives. Isaiah 64, verse 4, puts it this way. It says, From old no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen God besides you who acts for those who wait for him or who works for those who waits for him. God works for us. He works for us. Now, at first, that might kind of set something off in you. Say, well, no, 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 God doesn't work f- for me, right? I work for God. Like, God, God doesn't work for me. Like, right? That, that can't be true, right? God doesn't, God doesn't work for me. He wants me to work for him, right? This is actually a very Utah way of thinking. This is, this is ingrained in, into our culture uh, here in Utah, that we must be people who work for God, right? Industry. It's like, in, it's in our state motto, okay? Like, we, we work for God. God doesn't work for us. That, that's not how it works. Let me ask you a question. What is it that you do for God that he cannot do for himself? What does he need you to do that he can't do for himself? What, what is it? What, what's, your, what's your talent that he doesn't have? What's your ability? That, like, where, what does he need you for? <laughs> Nothing. He doesn't need you to do anything. That, everything that he wants just is. He doesn't even have to work for it. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't have to break a sweat, right? If he longs, it just, it just is. He doesn't, he doesn't need you, right? It's like that Paul says in Romans 11, it's 35 or 36, right? It says, who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? Who has given him a gift, right? Nobody. Like, nobody's actually given him a gift, and now God owes them something, right? Nobody does anything for him. You don't do, he doesn't need anything from you, right? So this idea that, man, we must work for God actually doesn't make any sense. Now, we respond to the works of God, right, by doing things for him, not because he needs us, but out of gratitude and thanksgiving, when we live lives that are sacrificial and selfless before him. He said, my life is no longer mine, it is yours. I belong to you because of what you've done for me, right? But ultimately, it's God who works for us. Now, that doesn't mean that you're the boss. Now, some of you are like, oh, I like this doctrine. God works for me. I know exactly what I want him to do. No, that's not, that's not it. He, he works, he wills and works for his good pleasure. For his good pleasure, he works for you, for his glory, and for your joy. He's constantly at work in us. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. He says, I lifted my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I look to the hills. I look to the earth. Where does my help come from? It comes from the one who made the hills. The one who made the heavens and made the earth. God is working for us. He is constant help. He is a near and present help, the psalmist says. He's always working for us, for our good, for our joy, for his glory. He is constantly at work. Matthew Henry, uh, the great theologian, writes it this way. He says, God's servants cannot work for him unless... He work upon them. God's servants cannot work for him unless he work upon them. 
and the work in them both to do to will and to do and then we may hope the operations of God's providence will be apparent to us when the operations of his grace are apparent upon us right you want to see what God is doing and we can only hope to see what God is doing when the operations of his grace what he is doing in us he must work he must work in us and on us in order for us to see what he is doing around us we work out our salvation yes faith without works is dead yes but he is the one doing the work he is the one producing the fruit this is his grace upon us his grace upon us produces the good fruit in our life jesus came to work for you jesus says in mark 10 45 he says for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many Jesus didn't come so that you could serve him. He came to serve you. We serve him out of what he's already done for us in response to his work. And in that work, in this, in, in this cleansing of our souls, he makes it available to us his spirit, the helper, who takes up a residence inside of us to work in us and to work, again, to work for us. John 14, Jesus says it this way, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Constantly working to help us. Constantly working in us. Pete Scazzaro is an author. He has written a number of books, but really a lot of them about this idea of emotional healthiness, right? Our, our staff team just went through kind of his most well-known work, work uh, emotional healthy spirituality. Emo- emotional healthy spirituality. Um, we just walked through this as a staff team. And, and, I, and I, even as we walked through it as a staff team, I, there was multiple times where I was like, man, this would be so good for our church. And so if you're kind of thinking, man, what, what book should I read next? I want to recommend uh, Emotional Healthy Spirituality to you. Um, but that's just a long way to get to this quote. Uh, he says this. He says, Christianity is not about our disciplined pursuit of God, but about God's relentless pursuit of us. Christianity is not about our disciplined pursuit of God, but about God's relentless pursuit of us. I believe that right here in our culture, right here in Utah, we can get so wrapped up into thinking that faith is all about what we do for God and all the things that we need to do for him, the ways that we need to serve and volunteer and give, right? That's what I need to do. My life needs to be all about serving and volunteering and giving and doing and giving and serving and volunteering and doing. And we never stop to say, okay, what is God doing in me? What is God doing for me? Every moment of every day, where is he at work in me? Where is he at work in me? Only God can do what only God can do. This does not mean that we sit back and let it happen. It means like Moses, we earnestly ask God to reveal to us where he is at work. We work to, as Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. This moment-by-moment journey. And most importantly, we are obedient to the Spirit. We're obedient to the Spirit. Unteachable people don't get taught um, I, I don't know if you've ever uh, supervised somebody who's unteachable, right? 
You, you pour into them, and you want them to become kind of this, this, this kind of greater, better uh, employee. You want them to flourish. You want, you want them to kind of experience and to kind of realize all of their gifts and all of their talents. You, you want them to grow in this position, right? But, but no matter how much you pour into them, no matter how much you work, no matter how much you try, they just always remain the same. There's this pridefulness within them that says, man, I've got this. I think when it comes to God, a God who works, this is often how we are. We'll say, God, God works, yes, work on all of these things in my life. You can, you can have all those things, just go to work, make all those things good. But this thing, this thing right here, this one's mine. Like, I got this, we're, we're good here. These few things here, I'll work on these, you work on all of those, we're, we're good here. Like, I, I've got this. Like, yes, God works, he's working on all those things, but, but this one, I got this. Don't, don't, no, 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 I got, I got this one, right? This idea that we don't want to have relinquished all control over to him. And we wonder why we are, like this, this thing over here, this little pet thing that, that we just will not let go of, we wonder why it's dying. We wonder why it's bringing us so much stress and so much anxiety. Friends, the Holy Spirit's green light is when we say, I cannot do this anymore. I'm not even going to try. It's yours. I, I can't. I'm not going to cling to this anymore. Whatever that thing is for you, I don't know what that thing is for you, but I'm not going to cling to it anymore. I'm not going to say, this is mine. I'm going I'm to figure this out. No, no, no. I can't do this anymore. I need you. That, that line, that line has changed my life again and again and again and again. I cannot do this. I need you. We need to be a teachable people in order for God to do what only God can do in us. This is a practice that must be cultivated in us. Deep dependency on him. A heightened awareness of his hand and his voice. This must be practiced and cultivated every day. And if not, just keep on numbing. If you're not going to practice it, if you're not going to cultivate it, don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it because it's meaningless to you. Just, just keep on watching Netflix. Just keep on binging whatever show you want to binge, right? Just keep, just keep on doing whatever you want to do with your days because it's, it's meaningless to you. We must be a people who begin to practice and in increasing our awareness of what God is doing. And so this week, I want to challenge you to incorporate this prayer, to ask God, show me where you're working in me. Show me where you're working in me, right? And then I just want you to stop and listen. Spend some time just sitting and listening. Say, okay, wh what sin are you exposing in my life? What fruit are you producing in my life? Where did you bear me up today? And then just sit and listen. Just listen. And then test what he says, right? T test what he says. Test it by his word. And then most importantly, obey it. Obey it. A actually do it. If you don't, like I said, you might as well just keep on numbing, right? Because it's only the teachable people who are going to get taught. We must cultivate this practice in us. Lastly, so we, we say, man, show me what you're doing in me, but then also show me what you're doing around me. Show me what you're doing around me. He's not only working in us, he's working around us. He, he is working in people's lives who are followers of Jesus, and he's working on people's lives who are not followers of Jesus. Okay, let me say that again. He's working in people's lives who are followers of Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, right, Christ, has, Christ has, has cleansed us and 
made us pure so that the Spirit of God might take up residence inside of us and go to work in us, working in our heart, working in our mind, working in our soul for His, for his pleasure, for His glory, and for our joy. But for those who are outside of Christ, right, He's working on their lives. His grace is constantly on their lives. And so here's the prayer. God, show me where you're working around me, right? In, in my circle of influence, in, in my neighbors that I know, in my coworkers that I know, in, in the, my family members that I know, my friends that I know, where are you working around me? Now, we're going to spend more time talking about this next week, and so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but this is, this is the prayer. God, where are you working around me so that I might join you in that work? What coworker in the past week has been maybe been asking me more questions about my faith? What neighbor has been asking me like weird questions about my church? What person in my life has like brought up these kind of like semi-awkward things that I don't really want to engage in, but there's, but there's clearly some pain going on there, right? They're talking about their marriage. They're talking about an illness. They're talking about uh, some problems that they're having with their kids, right? And I'm like, and, I, and I've been dodging it. I'm going to say, oh, that's, oh, look at the time. God, this is awkward. I got to go, right? Where is God inviting you to join in the work that he is doing? Where is he inviting you to join in the work that he's doing right now around you in your life? Over on this wall, we have, uh, this, this is our call, our praying for one wall. And here at Flourishing Grace, we want to be people who are constantly praying for one. These are not, these are not people who live far away. These are, these are not uh, kind of your family members who live on the other side of the country, right? These are local people in, that you see at least, you see physically at least once a month. At least once a month. Ideally more than that, but at least once a month you see them. And these are the people that God is working in. This is my one person that I know God is working in their life. And what's tempting when we think about our one, it's tempting to think about who is the person that I love the most that doesn't know Jesus. That's my one. And we're going to pray for that person every day. Now, you should pray for that person every day. But I want to challenge you this week to think about something differently. Rather than saying, man, who do I love the most that doesn't know Jesus? Now, I'm not saying don't think about that. I'm not saying don't pray for them. Yes, pray for them. But God, who, who in my life are you calling me to pray for? Who, who in my life are you already working in? Who have you begun a good work in? Who are you wooing to yourself? Who, who are you right now opening their eyes to pain and sorrow that only you can fix, that only you can restore? Show me where you're working in my life. What neighbor, what friend, what coworker, what family member that I see regularly, where might you be inviting me to engage in the work of the gospel? Friends, if you want significance, meaning, and purpose, right? This is, the only, this, is, this is eternal significance, eternal meaning, eternal purpose. God calling us to, inviting us to join with him in his work. And so I want to challenge you this week to begin to pray, as we said earlier, Father, show me where you're working in me. Open my eyes to your grace and your mercy. Open my eyes to your work. Show me what you're doing in me. Show me what you're producing. But then, show me where you're working around me. Whose life are you working on? Right? Who, who, who are you producing what only you can produce in so that we might join with him in that work? That we might be a people who see, man, my God is a God who works constantly. He's constantly working in me. And I don't want to miss a moment of it. And he's constantly working around me. 
and I want to join him in that work. And that's what we're going to talk more about next week. But for this week, I just want you to pray that prayer and begin to ask God, show me where you're working. Show us. Show us your work. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you and acknowledge this morning, confess this morning that we, that we are people who, who do often, most of us in this room, live numb to what you are doing around us. Just oblivious to it. We get up in the morning, we get ready, we go to work. We work, we come home, we shove some food in our bellies and we get our kids to practice or whatever it is that they have that going on that night. We come home, we watch some Netflix, maybe play a game, go to bed. The next day we just get up and we do it all over again. Right now, would you slow our minds, slow our hearts, and show us your work. Right now, I ask that you would open the eyes of the men and women in this room, the men and women, men and women watching online. You'd show them your work. Where are you working in them? What sin are you trying to expose? What righteousness are you trying to cultivate? What fruit have you produced this week that they were just oblivious to? Unbelievable supernatural love or joy or peace or patience, kindness. They didn't even see it. Show them your work. outside of us who are you working on what friend what neighbor what coworker? where where have you raised flags this week where have people asked us questions or tried to engage in conversations that maybe we've dodged or didn't turn towards you my life are you working on for the sake of your glory and your joy who are you working on would you open our eyes to that right now right now in this moment would you would you give us one give me one show me where you're working that I might join with you and find significance purpose that is eternal, not temporary. Praise in your name.